Thank you, Pastor. Jim, I want to do a rewind, if we may. I was supposed to have uh, included a video at the end of our announcement time. And normally we don't insert that in the middle of a worship service. But inasmuch as we are enjoined to pray for our nation, as we have concerns about our country, it's less than a minute long. And so as a reminder to us to pray for our country, let's watch and remember and pray. And so, our Father, we thank you for our country, as we thank you for all the nations of the earth. But we ask you, O Lord, to bless us, that you might forgive us our sins and grant us grace, that we might truly be one nation under you. We ask this and we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. And I invite you to give your attention to God's word as we pray for people, as we have a concern in our hearts, and as we have it as our mission to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ to the whole world. We have been considering in these recent days our vision and values as a church, as John has been preaching. I was supposed to have done that, but COVID had other things. I should say the Lord had other things in mind. And uh, we're going to continue. Now, Let me just say at the outset that we have a wonderful confession of faith in our Westminster Confession of Faith. It's larger and shorter catechisms. And that is a good summary of what the Bible teaches. But as Christians throughout the ages have had summaries of the faith, think, for example, of the Apostles' Creed or the Nicene Creed, ways that we have of stating our faith and of stating the mission that the Lord has given us on this earth, we have something similar here at Bay, and so we're using that as a, as a guide to think about why we're here and what we're doing. What is the most often asked question, do you think, that people ask more than others? Uh, people have actually done research on this. Do you know what it is? What's for supper? That's what I'm told. Or what are we doing for dinner? The preeminent question on the minds of people. But we also think of more profound questions, don't we? Like, who am I and why am I here? Well, we might ask ourselves as a congregation, who are we and why are we here? So I've jumped ahead a little bit because if you notice in your bulletin, John has been talking about community and worship. And then you see the next part, which talks about uh, teaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and things that follow from that. But I want to jump down to the next bullet point which talks about our goal, our chief end. And as we know from our shorter catechism, which asks the question, what is the chief end of man? The chief end of man is to 
glorify God, and to enjoy him forever. Good thing to know. So to help us with this, let's look together, first of all, at Romans chapter 11, a passage that is familiar. We've been here not too long ago, beginning with verse 33. Hear the word of God. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has seen his counselor or been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Our goal is nothing short of the glory of God. It is why we are created. We are here for his glory. Even as the heavens declare the glory of God, the earth declares his wonders as well. We say unequivocally, that our primary, our greatest concern is God's glory. What is the glory of God? Well, we think of it in terms of his divine and heavenly radiance. We think of the perfection of God's being, his sinlessness, his all power, his all knowing, all of the attributes of God that we could name. Again, our catechism is helpful in this. It asks the question, what is God? God is a spirit. Infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. As we say those words and think in terms of who God is, we think of his radiant splendor or his loftiness and majesty. That God is altogether different from us in his perfection of being. He radiates a glory in which sinful human beings cannot stand. As the Bible says, no one can look upon God and live. That's how extraordinary his holiness is. When Isaiah found himself in the presence of God in the temple in Isaiah chapter 6, his immediate response was to say, I am a sinful man. I'm undone. I come from a people of unclean lips. and I have unclean lips. Again and again. We see encounters with God in the scripture and we see how terrified people are, whether it's Moses who wanted the opportunity to see the Lord and the Lord told him, no, you can't. And he carved out a cleft in the rock and placed him in it and covered it so that Moses was just able to see the backward part as the Lord went by. And even that was overwhelming for Moses and his face radiated so the glory of God that it terrified the people that saw Moses. Or we think about the Lord Jesus himself. Remember how that he was in the boat with his disciples when the terrible storms swept down on the Sea of Galilee? And they woke him up. Interesting that he was asleep. And they woke him up. And the Lord, the Lord rebuked them and said, where's your faith? And he spoke the words, peace, be still. And immediately the storm subsided and was gone. Now, in Hollywood fashion, you might think they'd been jumping up and down in the boat and celebrating. Wow, the storm is gone. But they weren't. They were terrified. They were more afraid of Jesus at that point than they had been of the storm. What manner of man is this? They ask. So when we think of God's glory, when we think of his holiness, we think of something that is altogether apart from our normal experience on earth. First Corinthians six nineteen through 20. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? 
You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul gets very practical here at this point, and, and it's helpful for us to understand why we should live as becomes the followers of Christ, because the Holy Spirit himself abides within us. That's why Paul says in Philippians to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you, both the will and to do his good pleasure. There's fear and trembling, not because I'm afraid that I'm going to lose my salvation. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. I'm fearful because it's God himself who indwells me. And so there's a healthy fear and reverence for the Lord in that. But Paul here enjoins us to glorify God, even in our body, as he is dealing with the matter of sexual sin, which is very much on our minds today. As we see sexual sin no longer shunned, but itself glorified. But we glorify God. And we think in terms of whose we are. We've been bought with a price. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. That God's glory is our, is our concern. That that's what we're about. We want him to be glorified. Have you ever worked around or for someone who had an intentional purpose of building up the people around them instead of building up him or herself? Now, we've all been around people who like to build themselves up. It doesn't matter what story you tell. They've always got a story to top it about something that they did. But think about those people in your life who have been genuinely concerned about you. I've, it's it's a, interesting to me. I've met some people who have had some measure of fame and success in life. And you know the best of those when you're in their presence never say a thing about what they've done. I can think about one individual in particular. When I started talking to him, he started telling me about things I had done. And, man, when we got through with the conversation, I thought I was somewhere on the level of Billy Graham. You know, wow, I never thought about having done all that before. But then, of course, the Lord always has a way of humbling us and reminding us of who we really are. But we think about people who intentionally are about building others up, about deflecting the glory that might tend to come their way in order that others might be built up. Well, that can be a helpful image for us if we think in terms of who God is that we have no glory in and of ourselves that we can offer to him, but that we reflect to him the glory that really is his, inasmuch as we have been created in his image, as we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ who died on the cross for us, as we yield our lives to him and submit to him and surrender to him, we are reflecting that glory that is God's glory back to him. That's the best way that I can describe it. And if it's not a good way, bear with me. I'll try to keep recovering over the coming weeks and remember how to preach again. But that's the notion or idea that I want to get across to you, that our, our primary concern in all that we do here at Bay, whether we're worshiping or whether we're just gathering around and talking during the week as people come through these doors, would to God that our primary chief end in all of our conversations and doings would be that God would be glorified. We glorify God by trusting in Christ. That's the second thing I want to say. Being helped by Jonathan Edwards in this, which he was a pretty smart man who studied the Bible a lot, and I think he got it right. We glorify God by trusting in Christ, by worshiping him, and we're to glorify him in all that we do. Think, for example, of 2 Corinthians 1.20. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. What's he saying there? 
He's talking about faith. Yes is a way of giving our assent to something, giving our agreement to something. So the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Amen is a way of giving agreement, giving assent. It's also literally a way of confessing God because he is called, at least in one place in the Bible, the amen. And so we're giving agreement. We give glory to God when we trust in God, when we put our faith in God, when we dare to believe his promises and put our confidence in him. Psalm 86, 9, having already been read, all the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. You see, we are participating in that great end purpose that God has in mind for all of the nations of the earth. We might glorify him. You know, there's nothing like practice, getting practiced up for for an event that's coming. But as we think in terms of our own worship and our own ministry, we're really just getting ready for far greater things that are going to come when we glorify the Lord together. But in glorifying the Lord, it also means that we contrast that with what we would normally be doing apart from the grace of God. Because when we are dead in our sins and trespasses, we are unable to trust in God and we're unable to live for God. And so we find ourselves doing those things which are right in our own eyes. And we think of those most chaotic and wicked periods in the Bible that are described in just that way. When everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. Proverbs is helpful to us in this. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. Think of our own cultural experience today when people want to talk about truth in the subjective. My truth. Your truth. And think about Proverbs twelve fifteen. There is, I'm sorry, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes. My truth can be foolishness, and it is no truth at all. What we are concerned about is the truth. Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. You see, there's an end. There are consequences to decisions and things that we believe. Or Proverbs 21, 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. You see, there's the subjective coming head on. In collision with the objective. A way that seems right in our own eyes, but the Lord, there's the objective, there's the immovable object, weighs the heart, he knows. So as we consider trusting in God and glorifying him together, we have to contrast that with what we would be doing were it not for God's grace. In the New Testament, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 10 and 11, as we think in terms of not only glorifying the Lord by trusting in Christ, but and as we worship him, but also in terms of all that we do, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. But alas, we make too much of ourselves. 
Rather than deny self, we want to assert self. As a friend of mine joked one time when we were talking about some things that he was dealing with, he he got through realizing what he was doing. He said, uh, well, enough about me. What do you think about me? But that's, that's how narcissistic we are. That's how self-centered we are. We want to put ourselves at the center of the universe. But the Christian? No, the Christian recognizes, no, it's not about me. It's all about what God is doing. It's about what God has done through the Lord Jesus Christ. We want the glory to be His. That's why we sing to Him. That's why we proclaim His greatness. That's why we bow and pray to Him. That's why in our fellowship we refer to it as fellowshipping in the Lord. Because we want credit to be given where credit is due. Finally, in terms of points, the third one, to delight in God is the greatest joy anyone can know. Now, this seems disconnected from the rest. After all, I've been talking about glorifying God. But how is it, after all, that we glorify God? Let me quote. Jonathan Edwards, I think, provides us. Good help in this is he observes that from time to time in Scripture, embracing and practicing true religion, that is the true faith revealed by Jesus through those who wrote Scripture, that by embracing and practicing true religion and repenting of sin and turning to holiness is expressed in Scripture by the words glorifying God as though that were the sum and end of the whole matter. So. As we follow Jesus, as we repent of our sin, as we turn from sin to his holiness, we are glorifying God. And in that, we find our greatest enjoyment. Now, we tend to think of enjoyment in terms of recreation in our country. And that really is the God we worship. Everything's oriented around recreation. But for us, we realize there is no greater joy than in serving the Lord and in delighting ourselves in him. When we read his word and we find not a bunch of rules that are trying to rob me of life, but are showing me the way of life. As I follow the master, as I turn from sin and trust in Jesus, suddenly this book comes alive and it directs me in the way that I should go. And I find the pathway to be a delightful one. And there is joy in serving Jesus. Remember, we used to serve, uh, sing in Bible school. I've got the joy, 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 joy. Where? Down in my heart. Where? Down in my heart. I also love that last one. Saying, I've got the, you know, the love of Jesus, love of Jesus down in my heart. And you go on and on and sing that. But it's the joy that we have from, com- from serving the Lord Jesus. John Murray says... That giving glory to God and being fully persuaded that what he has promised he is able also to perform, which is found in Romans 4.20, are coordinate and describe the exercises or states of mind which were involved in the faith that Abraham exhibited. To give glory to God is to reckon God to be what he is and to rely upon his power and faithfulness. That's why Christians have long said, drawing from the Latin, soli deo gloria, to God alone be the glory. And we can put this into a very practical expression when someone compliments us, when we see something good, just think in terms of to God be the glory. 
How can you not look up in the sky, the stars, and think of what a wonder it is that God made that and how glorious he is? I heard, heard a little bird singing the other morning, and I thought, you know, that's amazing. Who taught that bird how to sing? What little bit of singing I know somebody had to teach me, because I can tell you, it didn't come naturally. And you might be wondering, well, who was the poor teacher you had? But that's another point. One of these days, I'm really going to do it well. But that bird singing, giving voice, and, and I was thinking about how that just absolutely declares God's glory. And I thought about what a travesty it is that so many people would listen to that bird and think, wow, isn't it amazing that that just came about by chance? That the impersonal, undesigned processes of evolution brought about that little bird that's able to sing so beautifully? That gives glory to no one. But we give God glory because he does all things well. We think of Psalm 16, verse 11. As we think of giving glory, that it results in great pleasure. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Those words ultimately are ones that apply to the Lord Jesus, but they are applicable to all of us. There's no greater joy or pleasure than comes from when we serve the Lord and when we yield our lives to him. I think about a man who shared a testimony at a meeting that I was at one time, and he had been a a pickpocket. He was talking about all the money that he made from pickpocketing. And I thought, wait a minute, is he here to tell us about Jesus or to sell us on the virtues of stealing? And he told about stuff he had been able to do with the money that he got. And yet he said he wound up at a Christian meeting one time because he thought there might be some good targets there. You know, these... People come in with their billfolds, you know, bulging, and he thought, you know, be pickings. And so he was there for that purpose, but what he didn't realize, that God had another purpose. And while he was in that gospel meeting, that man was up there preaching the gospel, and that poor pickpocket was back there getting convicted of his sin and thinking, how in the world am I going to give back all this money that I've taken from people? But God converted him and changed his heart, and he was talking about how much less money he had now than he had when he was a thief. But he said he wouldn't trade all the money in the world for the joy that he has now. Because he knows the Savior. And he knows that heaven is his. And he's got treasure that no thief will ever destroy or steal. John says in Revelation 21, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Do you hear me? Every tear wiped away from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So if those things are gone, what is there? Joy, Christian. Joy in glorifying God. Joy in being His. Joy in knowing what it means to be redeemed and set free from the shackles and bondage of sin. To know that we will never face the wrath of God because Jesus endured that for our sakes. No, it is for us to enjoy God and to delight in him forever. And so, as we celebrate our nation's independence this weekend, I just want to remind you that we have a liberty that exceeds anything that could ever be ours in a political sense. Because we not only celebrate wonderful documents that we rightfully celebrate, 
But it isn't the Declaration of Independence that ultimately sets us free. We are set free by the Son of God who came to do the work himself. Not a mere document, but a Savior in the person of Jesus. Fireworks won't do it, will it? We sing, we pray, we give praise, we give voice to our desire to glorify God, knowing that this is only a small foretaste of what we shall one day know when we will be like the one who came to rescue us, when we will see him as he is. And so we anchor everything that we do at Bay Church, as all of God's people everywhere do, when they truly are serving him, we anchor everything in this desire to glorify the Lord together, even as we enjoy him. May God bless us to know what it means to do nothing short of that. Father in heaven, bless us, we pray, and forgive us. For we know that we fall far short. But even in asking forgiveness of our sins, we pray that that may give glory to you. For you have provided a way for those sins to be washed away. Even as we come to the table of the Lord Jesus just now, we are reminded of the precious price that has been paid in order that we might be truly set free. And so, O Lord, by your grace, may we glorify and enjoy you. Indeed, may you be glorified. For we ask in Jesus' name.